0: Welcome to Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular podcast. We'll help you discover just how flexible modular construction has become and how it is helping make life better for real people facing real space challenges. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Built Modular, a podcast by Vanguard Modular, a box modular company. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Built Modular. We appreciate you joining us for some broader construction industry thought leadership as we explore different aspects of the built industry. As you enjoy today's content, make sure that you are heading to our website, vanguardmodular.com. Again, vanguardmodular.com. For more information on some of the strategies, techniques, and thought leadership you're going to hear about today, And make sure you're also subscribing to Built Modular on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode of the podcast, we're opening up the modular construction history books and exploring the evolution of modular construction as well as of the broader modular building industry. With roots back to even the Roman days, the concept of quick construction and modular materials has a very storied past. So today, what we're wanting to do is give some context on just how far back modular construction goes, but then also track a more applicable timeline of modern modular construction's evolution over the last 100 to, you know, 50 years or so, and how the last 50 years specifically have propelled modular to new heights. So joining us for insights today is Mr. Carl Bennett, General Manager of Contract Services for Vanguard Modular, Carl, real great to have you on today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine, and uh, thank you for inviting me to this podcast, Daniel.
0: Of course. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. You've got a lot of industry insight to offer us today as we explore this evolution of the industry. We'll get into it in a little more detail, uh, but you've been in the industry 45-plus years now, I think uh, over 50, uh, and that is... I mean, just invaluable insights there to pull from, seeing how the industry has changed in the modern era and where you see it moving forward with that as context. So let's go ahead and jump in, get that broader timeline to start. Can you give us some of the deep history book knowledge on modular that you have uh, or that you've done some research on yourself or just perused during your time in the industry? How far back do any of the first known instances of modular construction go that you care to highlight or that you think are interesting?
1: Well, beyond the fact that you mentioned the Romans, modular construction or prefabricated, relocatable, uh, whichever it may be defined as, goes back uh, far in our history. Matter of fact, there's instances where in the 1600s, the English actually shipped over to the new colonies some knockdown, prefabricated housing for fishermen to use. So that's a start. As far as relocatable, where portable goes, I mean, you can actually... um, reference to Conestoga wagons that were used by the uh, settlers on their way out to uh, California for the gold rush. Beyond that, though, something that we'd be more, uh, let's say, accustomed to envisioning for uh, modular or prefabricated would actually be in, let's say, residential housing. And really, commercial modular Got a lot of it start from uh, from residential. Many of you are aware of Sears Homes. Sears Roebuck Company actually sold modular houses uh, from 1908 to 1940. More than 75,000 homes were manufactured by or for or by Sears and shipped on railroad cars to various destinations around the United States where they were then offloaded and driven somewhere that was in near proximity to the rail yard. So that's quite a start there in the um, 40s, particularly during World War II. Modular, relocatable, whatever housing, uh, many of them trailers, so to speak, like the, uh, let's say the, the first mobile homes, they were used at many manufacturing plants. To house the workers. Um, it was the quickest way to establish not just workforce housing, which is something used quite often today even, but almost like entire cities, like um, I hate to call them company towns, but in a sense that's what they were. But hundreds of thousands of units were built during World War II for housing workers. Now, because of that, Many people in the U.S. and other countries became, let's say, well aware of mobile and modular buildings of whatever type. And late in World War II and during the Korean War and particularly during the Vietnam War, um, the commercial industry almost like became on fire providing multi-unit commercial modular buildings, okay, for use in the war effort. Like, for example, I'm second generation. My father had started a company called Bennett's Trailer Company back in the 40s. And I recall as a a young man working for our company and working on large uh, commercial modular projects for companies such as um, United Aircraft, particularly the Norton Bombsite Division uh, up in Connecticut. And that was just typical of many commercial applications of modular buildings at that time. Um, you know, the Vietnam War, I hate to say, lasted 20 years. And during that time, there was a, a huge need for commercial buildings. Uh, later on, during this, um, you know, our, the beginnings of our space era, I know that we provided everything from mobile laboratories to um, commercial office buildings for design and engineering of the first flight suits. And those are just typical examples. But, um, you know, Modular's got quite a history.
0: Yeah, and that's only scratching the surface. Uh, but I appreciate you being able to give us that really detailed background. And we'll get into uh, World War And uh, some of the sort of wartime transitions uh, more concretely here in a second, Uh, but maybe to refocus our timeline to the modern era so that our insights remain more applicable moving forward. When did you start to see modular construction in the modern era, whatever you would sort of self-define that as, start to really take off at scale? When did you see it uh, transition into sort of the phase that we see it today? And what were some of the motivators?
1: Starting in the 1970s, we saw commercial modular evolve from merely office space to beyond, Uh, particularly uh, schools. There was a great need for classrooms. And again, you could take that back to the results of various wars and so forth, you know, the increased populace. But classroom needs in particular were were just, uh, they were great. Most schools naturally were brick and mortar rather. Okay, many of them were aged. They typically did not have air conditioning or any other upgrades to their HVAC systems. So they were poorly ventilated. Uh, there was a great influx of students each year, with each year actually growing greater in demand um, as our populace grew. So classrooms across the United States uh, were particularly needed, and they ranged in anything from a, uh, a simple single-wide or double-wide classroom with just basic needs, depending on the budgets of the schools. To very large, complex buildings that were standalone. Now, beyond the classrooms, we saw more and more needs for commercial offices beyond just basic floor space. Um, as companies um, use their their offerings of office space in a manner similar to other perks for their employees, those companies um, were demanding. Greater designs. Uh, they didn't want just a typical, you know, wood paneled walls, simple windows, tile floor. They wanted upgrades for the, so that their employees could feel special. Now, that's pretty much how it started as far as enhancements to our typical modular building offerings back then. And as it went on, engineers and architects found out that so much more could be done with modular. For example, custom uh, hospital buildings laboratories, um, retail space, um, just about anything that you could envision that could be done construction-wise was was now transitioned somewhat from site-built conventional
0: to modular. So let's rewind the clock uh, even more. Why, you know, not as far back as the Romans or the 1600s, but we'll rewind maybe another 30-ish years to World War II. I know that after World War II, uh, the country was facing a lot of material shortages, and, you know, with the sort of uh, baby boomer generation— uh, an increased demand from the masses for suburban expansion at scale that led to sort of mass construction of suburbs at scale and a lot of the most popular designs had some aspect of prefab modular construction uh or at least at least some sort of like modular customization where you could have a base house but choose oh I want this addition of a patio or a side room or a gazebo uh how do you think the needs shaped by World War II and sort of where it took modular construction has also guided modular into the era that it's in today. Do you see any connections there that we can still feel?
1: Well, the connections that we can see are basically some of the ones I already mentioned. Starting with World War II, okay, there was a great need for space, okay, whether it was site-built space or modular space. The modular space was faster. It was cheaper. And even back then, it was more environmentally friendly, although that wasn't something that was a priority back then. But, you know, speed of construction and just the cost are attributes that are always going to be looked at, you know, whether it was back in World War II or or today. But, um, yeah, coming out of World War II, there was a great need, the, the whole country's a uh, economy was expanding no matter what state you were in, there was there was a great need. Um, businesses were being developed, businesses were expanded, science lent its hand. There was there were so many new inventions. I mean, think of where we've been since then as far as technology. And as technology is expanding, you know, so do everyone's needs for whatever can be developed and sold. I'm not sure if that's exactly where, what you're asking of me. You know, Perhaps I should expand on that.
0: No, I, I think you definitely answered what I was looking for there. Thank you, Carl. What I want to do now is take some of those timeline insights and uh, apply them to more specific styles of modular construction we see today, try to connect the dots with uh, how that growth over the last 50, 100 years has really set us up for where we're at today. So... I'm curious how you see the growth since, you know, let's say World War II, impacting the scope of modular construction for private projects. So this would be commercial, enterprise clients, industrial clients, folks that are not in the public sector, basically. How have you seen modular's growth over uh, that span of several decades impact the scope of modular construction for private projects specifically?
1: Okay, for private projects and commercial, anything non-residential. Okay, for example, in 1954, uh, Mr. Williams, actually the, uh, the originator of the Williams uh, Mobile Office Company, okay, received a patent for the first mobile field office trailer. Mr. Williams had been a construction contractor himself at the time, and he saw that it was like wasteful to have to build a project management office for each job. So he got the idea of converting uh, a mobile home to a mobile office trailer, and he made a design for it. He had it patented, and that's the first instance of a patented mobile office trailer. Uh, At the same time, my father, uh, Robert Bennett, was doing much the same thing, only without a patent. What he did, however, is he applied for a patent for a ball-type trailer hitch back in 1945 and received the patent approval in 47, And that led to the type of uh, towing device that every mobile unit and most modular units use even today. Uh, That's pretty much the commercial start. Now, taking it from there, um, these mobile and modular buildings have evolved into something way beyond what was originally devised. Uh, These modular units are built to specific floor plans and specifications that are similar to uh, conventionally site-built buildings. Matter of fact, uh, modular buildings meet all the required uh, same state and local building codes that conventional construction meets. the designs that have been incorporated into many of these buildings um, from World War II through today uh, are also somewhat unique as far as um, the way uh, you know, they're designed either to be used permanently in place as permanent modular construction or relocatable. Uh, many of these buildings um, are built of a wood frame construction but even more today are, or just as many, I should say, are built with steel. They can be done multi-story. Um, we have done custom uh, modular hospitals where the turnaround time has been within a couple months, whereas if it were to be built conventionally, it might be a couple of years. The savings to the customers can be enormous. Um, Back in the early 2000s, I built a hospital addition in the city of Philadelphia, where we we trucked in the modular units um, first week of January, and actually had it 100% occupied before President's Day, less than two full months later. And we were told that the savings to the hospital on that project was over one million dollars a month. Those those are the types of achievements that the modular industry has made. Um, that hospital building had everything that a conventional hospital would have, plus a huge savings. You know, all the members of the modular building institute, for the most part, all do these custom projects. They all work closely with architects and engineers and the owners. And we can bring in some you know, really beautiful buildings that you can never tell were not totally site constructed
0: and that's the vision right continuing to improve the scope of what can be modular so that the end user never even feels a difference and really all that changes is cost efficiency of construction and hopefully speed to market uh which you know continues to be a priority especially post covid when uh real estate prices are fluctuating so much and the future of Uh, commercial real estate investments is also kind of iffy. You know, where will the biggest ROI be? Uh, How to maximize that? I think modular will continue to play a big role in that as well. Uh, So expanding on, you know, uh, this idea of combining the growth of modular with specific types of projects, we broke down uh, commercial, industrial sort of enterprise level projects. Let's go residential now. What are your thoughts on how growth since around World War II or so, of the modular industry and its processes how has that impacted residential style modular projects in your view
1: as far as residential as i said during world war ii there were many mobile homes and modular buildings uh, used for workforce housing okay and that really gave many people the first taste of mobile homes now many mobile home communities were developed and particularly let's say Rural areas because many cities uh, fought the presence of mobile homes, unfortunately. Um, matter of fact, um, <laughs> many people remember that back uh, oh, in the mid 70s to 1980, I believe it was, uh, James Garner starred in a show called The Rockford Files, and he played the role of a detective who lived in a dilapidated mobile home. And that was always referred to as a trailer, and I'm afraid many people got the wrong impression of mobile homes from that, and the um, the word trailer it took on, a, uh, let's say, a bad connotation, and many people, and even today, uh, many people who aren't sophisticated about the modular industry may refer to our buildings as trailers, which is not quite right, but luckily, we moved on from there. Um, The manufactured housing community has done a terrific job in moving from those World War II era um, mobile home units to some really beautiful custom designed buildings that are more than just single wide or double wide buildings in a mobile home community. Um, Rather like the commercial modular industry, um, residential modular has come a long way. I mean, there are unique cliff houses in California. There are whole custom communities um, overseas in in countries like England, uh, Poland, Italy. Um, Some modular homes have been designed by architects with unique custom finishes. Uh, Some of these are just astounding to see. And again, too, you have the efficiency of speed, the reduction of waste of materials, the environmentally uh, conscious aspect of, you know, green homes. Um, it's just amazing. The, um, modular residential industry is just, um, it's just come such a long way.
0: All right, Carl, the last of these kinds of associations I want to make uh, is understanding how the growth of the industry from about that World War II era also impacts public projects. I'm curious if there are any uh, correlations there. So, this would be any kind of project that is funded by uh, a government organization. It could be at the uh, municipal, local level, at the state level, at the federal level. Have there been any distinctions there with how that growth has impacted modular for uh, publicly funded projects? Or do they operate in a very similar style uh, as we see for commercial owned residential? What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much a similar style. Um, you know, government funded projects have, have generally accounted for more than 25%, I would say, of production of commercial modular buildings. Those government-funded projects range from public school buildings, and again, keep in mind that the relocatable classroom building uh, part of the modular industry is quite large. Matter of fact, there's estimated to be more than 500,000 relocatable classrooms uh, owned by school districts at uh, at this time. I forget, uh close to 200,000 of them perhaps might just be in California and Texas alone. But beyond uh, public classrooms, there's a good bit of modular construction in prisons, whether it be minimum, medium, or um, high security facilities. Many modular uh, contractor dealers have uh, Done everything from design build to bid design build type work for prisons. Uh, We do it all, you know, complete turnkey installations. Also, uh, we see more and more municipal offices being constructed modular. Uh, The government, you know, basically avails itself of the same efficiencies in the modular industry that any other owner would. Again, too, it comes down to price, speed, and uh, environmental issues right now. It comes down to the usefulness of the building, the easy maintenance of the building, the fact that they're, I mean, prisons aside, the fact that they are attractive environments to work in. Everything that's good about modular. Okay, applies equally across the board. I mean, whether it be um, residential, like commercial, educational, institutional, the modular industry is is here to stay. And it does a great job serving the, uh, the public and private interests.
0: All right. Thank you for all that context, Carl. So now what I want to do is look ahead a little bit and understand how some of the leaders, In the modular building industry are pushing the industry forward and learning from the past, from the last ah, 60, 70 plus years to inform the future. So you're one of the original members of the Modular Building Institute, which is a legacy organization of dealers, manufacturers, installers, and other industry professionals within the broader built industry and modular building industry. So I'm curious, as the industry has grown in reach over the years since you uh, and several others uh, brought this organization to light, where are the most invested people in the industry, these leaders, where are they seeing the most opportunity for the future of the industry and why? And how do you think this ties back to maybe some key moments of evolution in Modular's history?
1: Well, I'll give you a great example. The Modular Building Institute actually started out in 1981 by a collection of dealers and other interested parties who actually got together and formed the Mobile Modular Office Association. And that was basically the way it started because most of the dealers at the time uh, were more invested in the commercial contractor field office trailers. So it made sense that the organization would be called the Mobile Modular Office Association. But um, within two years, the organization's name was changed to the Modular Building Institute to reflect the fact that the organization was more than just office trailers. Okay, the organization uh, consisted of naturally office trailer dealers and manufacturers. But just by 1983 alone, I mean um, the modular buildings were already. Uh, becoming so much more than an office trailer. Okay, the designs and the use and so forth were enhanced already just within those two years, and it continued to grow. And as it grew, and more members uh, came on board who were architects and engineers who wanted to get, it, who wanted to learn more about modular. And as they learned more about modular, they, you know, they applied more and more new designs and changed uh you know building building specifications to improve the efficiency to improve the aesthetics uh to improve the structural integrity even of these buildings which had already already been built to you know all the required codes and so forth but they wanted to make them better and as our buildings became better as far as structural integrity as far as aesthetics and so forth there are more and more applications were made uh, to expand the footprint of these buildings uh, both in size basically by length and width and a number of stories in particular applications um, it's just uh, it's just gone from a basic building back, you know back in the early 80s do these custom buildings today that, sell, that serve uh, specific purposes, whatever they may be, as classrooms, laboratories, hospitals, uh, detention facilities, uh, whatever. But um, they're, they're well beyond the realm of what uh, standard building codes would call for um, as far as energy efficiency, as far as the aesthetics. It's just amazing, and it's, it's continuing. Um, every month, there seems to be some new application for the modular buildings. Every month, there's some new piece of equipment, whether it be HVAC or something else, that makes the building more energy efficient. I mean, the engineers and architects are just working steadily uh, to improve modular buildings. I mean, modular buildings are, are not going to stop in their revolution. They're not going to get left behind. They're always going to be at least equal to
0: conventional construction, if not greater. To get even more timely, let's intersect COVID, which I think we're all sick and tired of chatting about. But I think important to try to look at what is beyond the pandemic and how the pandemic has shaped the industry as well. So I'm curious your view there. How has COVID left the construction industry's strategies for things like efficiency and profitability, especially with the various uh, financial crunches and uh, real estate uncertainty that I mentioned earlier? And where do you see modular fitting into solve or, uh, you know, live tangentially with some of those strategies? Do you see them as the same strategies that worked in 2019 and early 2020? Or do you think that there's going to have to be a new approach to achieving that efficiency and profitability in 2021? Give us your thoughts.
1: Actually, COVID did not harm our industry greatly. The the thing about it is COVID presented the modular industry with an opportunity to show the speed at which it can produce buildings. The modular building industry reacted quickly um, to the local, regional, and national needs that were created by the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, There was a need for everything from uh, sanitizing stations to additional office space because of social distancing to uh, facilities that were, would actually sanitize workers as they were to enter their workplace. It was just a, a great demand for specialized buildings to deal with the pandemic. Um, hospitals in particular, as you can imagine, uh, had a really great need for everything from testing stations to additional um, hospital Patient uh, rooms and so forth, because of the basically the overload of patients that came in with COVID symptoms. Our industry worked tirelessly. Um, They worked multiple shifts. Okay, in the plants, they had their engineers and designers working. You know, significant uh, overtime hours. The industry, you know, as I said, was asked to respond you know, to the pandemic, and they did. And they responded with a fervor. And I believe that a lot of the lessons they learned from COVID were probably those that really dealt with, like, production line efficiencies. Uh, They probably learned some new ways by which they can speed up their production line, okay, which in the future will add greater efficiency to modular production, which in turn, uh, leads to cost savings, not only by the building manufacturer, but ultimately to the owner of the project. Um, yeah, COVID taught our industry lessons. And the need for modular buildings during COVID, aside from these specialized requirements, you know, to help hospitals and, and um, commercial users and so forth, um, went well beyond that. For example, schools still had a need for classroom space. Matter of fact, the need for, uh, for relocatable classrooms or modular classrooms was actually enhanced, so to speak, due to COVID. Because those schools that still maintained a, uh, an in person presence for their students now had the social distancing needs. Okay, so for example, if, if 800 square feet was required before, uh, for a classroom, now perhaps they needed 1,600 square feet. So, classroom ma- manufacturers and dealers and contractors were typically exempt during COVID from the restrictions uh, concerning construction. As I said, you know, the, the modular industry responded promptly, and they responded, you know, just um, really great. They, they they jumped in. They they did what was asked of them, and more so
0: and it's really encouraging to hear that the industry wasn't affected that much by covid and i think that makes a lot of sense like you were saying i think in some ways uh the modular industry became very necessary during covid for healthcare applications quick response to um social distancing needs for education uh you know building out temporary uh education facilities or Um, modular, uh, triage centers, all that stuff became uh, immediately necessary during the pandemic. And I think it really showed to a lot of decision makers how flexible modular really is i mean that sounds kind of like a like a no-brainer right Duh, (laughs) modular is flexible um but i think it it really proved in practice how it can be achieved and how it can be achieved at scale so i'm curious how covid will continue to shape the future of the industry and it sounds like it could be in a very positive way we'll probably have to do a follow-up about a year out to see uh, what the long-term effects have been so last thing i want to bring up with you carl before we wrap is what do you think we can learn from how modular has met the industries the broader sort of built industries needs to inform modular's place moving forward basically when you look back at you know since world war ii some of the ways that modular has filled specific societal and construction industry needs how do you see that informing how modular will play a piece in those areas or in new areas moving forward what can we learn from the past to inform the future
1: I'll say this, the MBI has done a terrific job in educating the public, okay? Starting with the architects and engineers who are so vital to our industry, to the general public. Um, And it's it's that education that makes people more appreciative of modular construction, what it provides and what it can do for them. And the fact that, it should be more acceptable in many more communities. And actually it is. Uh, I can tell you that 15 years ago in many communities that weren't even rural, okay, but yet were not, let's say, not urban, it's just your suburbs, your normal suburbs, you could not get a building permit generally for anything that was considered modular, okay? Most building inspectors were unaccustomed to it. They were wary of it. Uh, They didn't want it in their yard. I'd say since those past 15 years, it's been a complete turnaround. Modular has come such a a long way in, um, let's say, in its construction, in its acceptance, in its use, and so forth. And basically, all these good attributes of modular construction are more widely known. Therefore, they're more widely appreciated. And there is a very uh, great number of projects, both residential and commercial, being done in uh, strictly urban settings, such as within the city of New York, cities of Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, Seattle. Um, there's modular projects that are three, four, five, up to 40 stories high that are being done. Okay. Okay. And they, they wouldn't be done if it wasn't for the fact that modular is a good proved type of construction. okay? And um, that's just, you know, within that time period even. And going forward, I can see that there's going to be a lot more of that. and I can see that the methods of construction in modular are going to change too. I happened to catch a, an episode on TV the other day of a residential a modular manufacturer who was printing 3d homes and you know perhaps we're going to see more of that in the next 15 years or so um the industry evolves constantly it's it's not going to stop it's always going to search for new methods um uh, new techniques new materials It's always going to be moving forward. We constantly look
0: to the future. I think there's a lot to be excited about moving forward. Carl, I just want to give you a big thanks for joining us today on the podcast and giving us this storied look at the growth of the industry so that we can better understand where the industry is at today, how we can learn from the past. To understand where the industry is going to go moving forward and also where we should take it, where we think we can learn from risks and opportunities taken in the past to push modular further forward. So thank you again to Carl Bennett, General Manager of Contract Services for Vanguard Modular, who's been in the industry for 50 plus years now. Carl, if folks want to learn a little bit more about uh, Vanguard Modular's approach to the built industry uh, learn a little bit more about your strategies uh, or just get in touch how can they do so
1: well they can uh, go to vanguard's website at www.vanguardmodular.com and you can find more information out there about vanguard modular building systems and the industry in general and that's that's the first place i would direct uh your listeners
0: Perfect. Carl Bennett, thank you again for your time. It's really been a pleasure.
1: Well, thank you, Daniel. It was a pleasure uh, being on your podcast.
0: And thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Built Modular, a Vanguard modular podcast and a box modular company. We appreciate you listening along for some broader built industry thought leadership. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you head to our website, VanguardModular.com, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.